0: As we get into our study tonight um, on prophecy and the end times, I'm gonna be doing a little intro first before we even get into Isaiah 17 and Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38. And I wanna also, before we even do the intro, I wanna remind you of what I told you last week. Remember, I told you I would be willing to do this on a certain condition. You remember the certain condition? That you wouldn't go and say, Jim's gonna tell us when the end is gonna happen, All all right? That's not the purpose. Alan, we got, we got seats right up here. There are actually some. So um, so what I want you to understand is, is tonight I am going to be striving to do what I always do. Strive to stay faithful to just scripture and just deal with what the scripture says. There's a lot of folks that when they get into prophecy, they get real excited and they want to figure it all out. Put it all together. And I'm going to show you tonight that there's some problems with that because, well, let's just take a second and deal with this. For the longest time before, see a lot of prophecy were on this side of because it was before and was fulfilled in Christ. And it's easy for us to see how those prophecies were fulfilled. But if you were prior to the cross, if you were prior to Jesus' first coming, it would have been hard for you to look at those prophecies and say, oh, I know what that means. Because the prophecy said that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Yet the Bible says that the prophecy said that the Messiah was going to come up out of Egypt. Well how could it be born in Bethlehem and come up out of Egypt? And that was also hard for the Jews to accept that he was actually from Nazareth. How could he be from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem and be the one who fulfills the prophecy of coming out of Egypt? That doesn't make any sense but now on this side of the cross it makes a ton of sense. But if you were prior we would have been all arguing over whether or not he was going to be from Bethlehem or from Nazareth or from, you see what I'm saying? And we've been all in our camps. And I want to keep you from going into that because there are some things that aren't fulfilled yet. And we really, well, over the years I've done a little study and I've had some fun where I looked at passages in the New Testament where they said this is a fulfillment of, and they went back to the Old Testament. So I would go back and read those passages where they said were a fulfillment of, and I would just read it by itself and say, would I have ever jumped to the, act- And every single time, not once would I have have been say, well that's it. Like for example, in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter and, and the, the believers there are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin preaching in other languages. And he said, this is a fulfillment of Joel 2. You go back and read Joel 2 about how he's gonna, in the last day he's going to pour out his Spirit and men are going to dream dreams and women are going to prophesy and all this stuff. You would have never said, oh, that's going to be when the Holy Spirit comes to involve the church and they're going to... We have to be real careful as we go into this study Of prophecy, that we don't try to say, I know what this is, this and then this and this. There's nothing wrong with speculation. But as my buddy Tony Kessinger says, it's possible for us, it's not possible for us all to be right, but it is possible for us all to be wrong. And so tonight, as we go into this study, I want to pour God's word into your life and into your hearts, and I want to keep you from the danger of saying, But Jim, I see it so clearly it's this, and then this, and then this. And so tonight, as we, before we go in, I wanna do this little introduction to talk to you about what is the purpose of prophecy. And the first thing, there's three purposes that I'm gonna talk about, there are more, but there are only three I wanna talk about to get started. The first purpose of prophecy is to bring glory to God, when the prophecies come to pass, since He's the one who told of the things before they happened. I'm going to say that again. One of The first purpose of prophecies is to bring glory to God. Because when they happened, He was the one who said it prior to when it was. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46. And look at verses 9-11. through 11. Look at what God says here in Isaiah 46, verse 9. He says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. God says, there's no one like me who can tell you way before it happens what's going to happen next. I say it, and then I do it. See, do you catch that? It's not like God just happens to just know what's going to happen next. God is the one who's orchestrating what's going to happen next. As you'll see later on tonight, when we get to Ezekiel 38, God is the one saying, I'm going to put a hook in the mouth of Gog, and I'm going to pull him down after against the nation of Israel. God not only tells us ahead of time what's going to happen, He's the one who orchestrates it. All right, go with me to chapter 48 of Isaiah. Look at verse 3. God says, The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. So one of the first reasons why we should look at prophecy and the purpose and the importance of prophecy is so that we can bring glory to God or so that God would receive glory because he's the one who told us long before that it was going to happen, and when it does, he's the one who did it. all right so we can to understand prophecies for God's glory. Second thing I want you to see is this it's also for us to put the prophecies in our heart so that we can recognize what God is doing if we're around at the time the prophecies are fulfilled. Okay, let me say this again. We're to put the Word of God in our heart. We're to treasure His Word in our heart. All of His Word we are to hide in our heart. And one of the reasons why God wants us to do that is some of this stuff that He said is going to happen that hasn't happened yet may happen in your lifetime and mine. And he wants you to know what's happening so that while it's happening, you won't be caught off guard like everybody else or worried like the rest of men who have no hope. We understand if we know the word of God. Oh, here's what God's doing. But you know it as it's happening or as you look back, you can see the hand of God. All right. Let me give you an example of that. We're not going to go to Revelation 1, 3, but you understand. Remember, God told uh, John to write down these prophecies. And then he said, blessed is the man who what? Reads the word of this prophecy and what? Takes to heart or heeds what's written in it. And that's very important. you got to know. You've heard me share this illustration before, but I'll remind you of it. If you were alive back at the time of Jesus and you were a faithful Jew who was studying the Old Testament and the word of God, and you had read Psalm 22, and you can look at this later on, if you've never seen Psalm 22, go take some time to read Psalm 22, because it starts off like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? I call out to you and you don't answer. And then David, who's writing this psalm, later on in a few verses says things like this. My bones are all out of joint. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've cast lots for my clothing. They've pierced my hands and my feet. Now, if you were reading it at that time, you would say, I don't understand. I've looked at the life of David. I don't know whenever his bones were out of joint. I don't know whenever they pierced his hands and his feet. That makes no sense. But if you were faithful to do what I want you to do tonight and you were to take the word of God and know it, put it in your heart, know what it says. Don't try to figure it out. Just know what it says and you happen to be alive at the time of Jesus on the cross, and you happen to be there, and you heard him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You would have gone, whoa, hang on for a second, that reminds me of something. And then all of a sudden you would have said, when he says, I thirst, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. If you know anything about crucifixion, your, you be, your bones become dislocated, and your bones get out of joint. And you see him casting lots for his clothing, and they pierced his hands and his feet, and you would have gone, this is what it's talking about. That's why I want you to know, that's why God has given us his word and his prophecy for us as well. Not only for his glory, so that if we happen to be around when some of these things take place, we'll know what he's doing. Let me give you one more example. Go to Luke chapter 12. I want you to know there's nothing wrong with a holy curiosity as to is this what's going on or is this happening? There's there's nothing wrong with that. Like I told you or I said in my prayer at the beginning, Daniel had that holy curiosity. When's this gonna happen? What's it gonna be? And he was told it's not for you to know. You're gonna sleep with your fathers, and this isn't until the time of the very, very end. But look at Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 56. Jesus is speaking, and he said to the crowds, He said, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? In other words, you know how to recognize the weather and you say, hey, look at what's going on. That means such and so is gonna happen and this is what's happening. Don't you realize prophecy is being fulfilled right now in your day? Why haven't you paid attention to the fact that a lot of prophecy is actually being fulfilled right now in my presence, being here. And you're oblivious to it. I don't want to be like that. I don't want, there, there are so many ditches we can get into in the Christian life of one extreme or the other. And the Bible tells us to avoid all extremes. There are some that say, well, we're not to know. No one knows the day of the hour. So We're just not going to worry about that. No, no, the Bible says to look and to be watching, to be ready, to know what His Word says. It says, don't go to the extreme, though, of trying to predict it and say, I know how it is and you're wrong. and I just You're not my brother because you don't see the prophecy the same way I see it. No, 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 don't, don't get like that. If you were to ask me personally where I am on a lot of these things, I'm, I know what I believe and what I am and why scripturally. But you know what? If you don't see it the same way I do it, we're going to both be in heaven because it's one of those non-essentials, remember? But is it essential that we know what his word says? Yes. And so if we happen to be alive when some of these things, and by the way, you're going to see in a little bit tonight, there's a very strong chance that a lot of things that, are line, uh, that we're seeing in our world today are actually lining up to possibly match with where we're going to go tonight. It'll make you go, whoa, that's interesting. Never thought about that. Wow, I think I might watch the news a little bit more. Uh, because I can't promise you that it's exactly a fulfillment, but you're going to see some real interesting coincidences tonight. There's a third reason. Third reason for for, uh, prophecy. And that's not for us to predict the future. It's not given for you to predict the future. And I'm going to give you one verse that I want you all to memorize. Actually, it's two verses. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. If you don't know this passage, put it down in your heart. Begin to memorize it. It will protect you in the days to come because... As we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, the second coming, the tribulation period, all that stuff that's coming, as we get closer, more and more people are gonna wanna jump into the ditch of trying to figure everything out. And I want you to know Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what it says. Every word of God proves true, He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words. Lest he rebuke you and you be found to be a liar. That's why I told you as we do this study tonight, I'm not going to preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other and say, this is this. I'm just going to show you what the Bible says, and I'm not going to go beyond what Scripture has said. I'm gonna point out to you some interesting facts, some things that are happening in our day. Please do not hear me say, Jim says this is this. You understand? I don't wanna be proved to be a liar. I don't know. That's one of the best answers I've ever come up with by the way. When I was a young preacher I used to think that I had to know because that was my job. I mean I'm as the pastor and I was supposed to know the word and people would ask me questions. I'd make stuff up because I had to have an answer. <laughs> but now I love the I don't know answer. It's one of my best ones, <laughs> alright? So let's begin to take a look at some prophecies that maybe some of you have never seen. Go to Isaiah chapter 17. Isaiah 17, we're going to look at verses, well I'm going to read the whole thing and then I'm going to read to you verses 1-3. through three. We'll begin to break it down. Isaiah 17, I'll read to you the whole chapter and then we'll look at verses 1-3 through three to start. An oracle concerning Damascus, and by the way, this is Damascus, Syria. Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. The cities of Aror are deserted. They will be for flocks, which will lie down and none will make them afraid. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. And in that day the glory of Jacob will be brought low, and the fat of his flesh will grow lean, and it, and it shall be as when the reaper gathers standing grain, and his arm harvests the eats, and as when one gleans the ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim, gleanings will be left in it as when an olive tree is beaten, two or three berries in the top of the highest bough, four or five on the branches of a fruit tree, declare the Lord the God of Israel." Someone please stand up and explain everything to us right there. Just keep reading. In the day that man will look to his maker, sorry, in that day, man will look to his maker, and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands, and he will not look on what his fingers have made, either the ashram or the altars of incense. In that day, their strong cities will be like the deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops, which they deserted because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation, and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant plant pleasant plants, and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them, and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, that the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. Ah, the thunder of many peoples, and they thunder like the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of nations, as they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but He will rebuke them, and they will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind. And whirling dust before the storm at evening time, behold terror, before morning they are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us, and the lot of those who plunder us." Now. I have to do something right now, I've read this to you for a reason, and I have to do something to now help you understand prophecy a little better. We want to read everything in a chronological manner and just say, and then that. You understand what I'm saying? And I have to show you that scripturally, that is not how prophecy works. and It's one of the things that messes us up. We read this, and then we read this, so this must happen before this. And that's not the way God works. I'm going to give you two examples to show you from Scripture of what I'm talking about. Two that you will understand, and then you'll be able to come back to this passage with God's insight as to how to possibly go at it. Okay, you with me so far? I'm telling you right now, you're you're, you're in you're in deep level teaching right now. I'm going to tell you this is this is high level. So I, if you're if you're getting if it gets muddy, please raise your hand and say. Spin the wheels one more time in the mud for me because I didn't quite get that. All right. Go with me to Isaiah 61. Put a bookmark here in Isaiah 17 and go with me to Isaiah 61. (coughs) Listen to what it says in Isaiah 61, verse one says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn." Now I'm going to stop you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Okay, Why is that familiar? This is the passage Jesus read from in Luke chapter four when he goes into his hometown of Nazareth. They ask him to to read and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it to this passage and if you do a double check, you will notice that Jesus reads from here but he stops in the middle of a verse. If you were to check Luke four, you would see that Jesus doesn't read the end of verse two where it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. He stops with to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and he stopped in the middle of a sentence. Why didn't he finish reading the sentence? Does anybody know why he didn't finish reading the sentence? That part wasn't, that part wasn't going to be fulfilled in his first coming. The day of vengeance is hap- happens when his second coming is. So listen, we all understand this now because of being on this side of the cross and it being explained by Jesus in his word that there actually was in one sentence two different whole time periods. Do you see that? One sentence could be divided into two totally different time periods. The first part of the sentence talked about his first coming. The second part of the sentence deals with his second coming. So if God could have this part of a sentence refer to this one thing, and this part of a sentence refer to another thing, We've got to be real careful when we look at prophecy, not trying to make it all just flow together. Let me give you one more example, go to Isaiah 65, look at verse 17. In Isaiah 65 starting in verse 17, some of your Bibles have a little heading above it right? They say what? New heavens and new earth, Isaiah 65 verse 17. A lot of our Bibles have that little heading, by the way the headings aren't inspired, so keep that in mind. (laughs) But look at what it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Here the prophecy is talking about the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal state. But keep reading but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Wait a minute, we gotta stop for a second. Are people dying in heaven? What happened? I thought we were reading about the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth. As with prophecy, the first verse was talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And then the rest of the prophecy starts talking about the millennial kingdom. I got to talk to you about a big word that a lot of people don't like, but it's called dispensationalism. I'm going to make it real simple for you. Dispensations are God working in different ways at different time periods. And some people say, Well, I'm not a dispensationalist. Well, every one of you are, whether you want to know it or not. Because how many people here, show of hands, believe in an Old Testament and a New Testament in your Bible? Guess what? You're a dispensationalist. There's the Old Testament dispensation, there's the New Testament. But at the same time, um, let me just put it to you this way Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the Hebrew writer says this In the past, God spoke to us through the prophets. But now He's spoken to us how? through His Son. So here it even clearly says, in the past God worked this way, now He's working this way. Now, there are those who go to the dispensational ditch. There are those who run to this ditch and say, I don't believe in dispensations, God works the same way all the No, 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 you can't go there, that's a ditch. There are others who go to the other dispensational ditch where they try to break everything down into like a zillion dispensations. These are the same kind of people that will try to tell you that this church age in Revelation represents 1741 till 1819, you know. And stop! You can't break it down that much! You're trying to break it down too much. But we do know this much, that if you study the whole of Scripture and you look at God's Word, the whole, you'll see that there was the garden. Then there was the time period between the fall and the time of Moses, where people still died, Paul said, even though there was no commandment that they were breaking. God was showing that sin was still there, even though there wasn't a commandment. People still died. Remember, the soul that sins, that shall die. All those people between Adam and Moses died. Why did they die? Because they were sinners, and even though there were no commandments for them to break. Then we have the age of law. When God gave the Ten Commandments, and we know from our studies that God gave us a law so the trespass would increase, and we'd realize what the problem is. It also fueled our sin to make us sin more, and then we'd realize we got a problem. But what does it do? It points us to Christ, and then Jesus comes on the scene. And I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the age of grace. We know it as the church age. Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that that time period is going to come to a close. When the time of the Gentiles comes to an end, he's going to finish what he started with the nation of Israel in that 77s that we've been through in our study. And then after that tribulation period of seven years that we know is still left, there's going to be a millennial kingdom, a literal thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. Here's how you can know that. If there is not a literal millennium, a literal reign of Christ on this earth, if you fall into that millennial category we say, well there's no real literal reign, it's, you know, it's just talking about the end, you know. Then God lied to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and He broke His promise. He said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you go back and double check me, He said I'm giving you and your descendants this land. Did Abraham ever receive the land? Isaac, did he ever receive the land? God said the same thing, the same promise I made to your father I'm going to make to you. I'm going to give to you, Isaac, and your descendants this land as an everlasting inheritance. Keep that in mind as well. That kind of solves the whole whose land is it issue. Did, I, did Isaac ever receive the land? Neither did Jacob, and the promise was made to him as well. It wasn't until the time of Moses that the Jews actually got into the promised land, and actually it was the time of after Moses of Joshua. If there is not a literal millennial kingdom, then God's promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob never will be fulfilled. But Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, you will sit with me on 12 tribes. uh, Sorry, 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And you're going to sit with me, listen closely, at the feast in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And we've seen in Hebrews chapter 11, these died not having received what was promised, but it's for a later time so that they with us would receive. Folks, there has to be a literal millennial reign of Christ. And it's another dispensation. It's a time that God's going to be showing that even with Satan in the pit and Jesus on the throne, by the end of that time period, mankind's still going to revolt against Him. And He has a reason for all of why He does what He does in each time period. And it's all for His purposes and it's for His glory. And if we know a rough idea of God's working and what He's doing in each time, or at least a rough idea of what He's doing, then when we go and look at prophecy, we're able to say, which is this talking about? Do you see what I'm saying? See, a lot of us, myself included, grew up in churches that whenever they just heard about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, we just thought it was heaven. I mean, it says the kingdom of heaven, isn't that heaven? Yeah. I mean, I grew up thinking for the longest time that I die and I go to heaven and that's it, and then I found out later on that actually, I'm gonna be on the earth for a thousand years. I'm gonna go be with the Lord if it happens before the rapture, you know, and I'll go with the Lord at the rapture, but at some point I'm gonna come back and be on the earth for a thousand years. I gotta be honest with you, I wasn't real excited about that when I found that out. I thought, all my life I've been thinking about going from here to heaven and being done, that'd be great, but I'm gonna be back and I gotta rule and reign, and I don't understand that, but, but God has a reason and a purpose. But the reason why Matthew said kingdom of heaven was he was writing his gospel to Jews. And the Jews would not say the name God A lot of devout Jews today will not say God. They won't even write the name God. They'll put G hyphen D, because they're not allowed to say it. Matthew knew that he talked about the kingdom of God, which all the other gospel writers, Jesus speaks, he says the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. You double check and you parallel the passages in Jesus teaching in Mark and Luke and John, where he talks about the kingdom of God and you'll find out it's the exact same thing. Matthew just called it the kingdom of heaven because of the Jewish audience that he had. And it threw us off. A lot of us grew up on the teaching in Matthew 25 of the parable of the sheep and the goats. And we think that that's going to happen in Heaven where God's going to separate us according to whether or not we gave someone water or visited them in prison. We've heard those sermons haven't we? Is that how He determines whether or not you're in Heaven or whether or not, by how good you were, or what you did? No, actually if you look closely at Matthew chapter 25 it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His holy angels with Him, when's that? That's at His Second Coming when He sets up the Kingdom. And you parallel that with a prophecy in Joel where he's going to gather all the nations and he's going to judge the nations according to how they treated his people Israel and how they divided the land. In Matthew 25 in the parable of the sheep and goats is talking about the beginning of the millennial kingdom when those who have lived through the tribulation period he'll gather all those nations and he'll deal with them according to whether or not they treated Israel well or if they didn't. If they didn't they go to judgment. If they did they get to stay in the millennial kingdom. Enter into the kingdom. Folks, we need to, when we look at prophecy now, understand there are still some time periods and things left to happen. And where does this fit? Let's go back to Isaiah 17. Look at verses one through three. It says, that Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. Now I'm gonna stop. Has this, those of you that are students of history, has this ever happened? No, yes. Not Damascus. Damascus hasn't been, Damascus has not been destroyed. It was destroyed by Sargon of uh, Assyria in 722 BC. Yeah, but not, not in the not ful- completely, not completely like not this one is talking about. That's what I'm saying. This is, the, there has been partial fulfillments of these prophecies. Mm-hmm. As you know, a lot of prophecies have partial fulfillments, but not the full fulfillment. You know, the Antichrist is still going to come and set up his, you know, what he's going to do in the wing of the temple, the Bible says in Daniel. What and Jesus know, himself said, he, was he fulfilled said, by any time. But here's how we can know that Antiochus Epiphanes wasn't the fulfillment of it because after Antiochus Epiphanes Jesus stood there in Jerusalem and said, when you see what Daniel talked about, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, then I say to you, get out of Israel, (laughs) get out of Jerusalem. He was speaking after Antiochus Epiphanes. And even though Antiochus Epiphanes was a partial fulfillment or a precursor or a picture of what was to come, Antiochus Epiphanes was not the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. There have been partial fulfillments. Some people say if you go back and look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and how the nation of Aram, that's the Assyrians, by the way, came to attack Israel, and at night they were there, and nobody was afraid, and in the morning they had been destroyed. They say this has all been fulfilled. No, 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 no. Look closely. It says it will be a heap of ruins and what? Cease to be a city. Actually, If you do a little research, you'll find that right now, Damascus, Syria is the longest inhabited city on the face of the earth. It has been in continual inhabitation. Is that even a word? It has been lived in for over 5000 years. Some people think even more. Continuously inhabited. And you can double check me. It is the longest continuously inhabited city on the face of the earth. Has this been fully fulfilled yet? No, it hasn't. Keep reading. And the next verse says, The cities of Aurora are deserted they'll be for flocks which will lie down and none will make them afraid. By the way, if you're curious where the cities of Aurora are, I'm I just on this on your own time go to look at 2 Kings chapter 10 verses 32 and 33. It talks about that area. 2 Kings 10 verses 32 and 33. But for our sake of our time, I'll tell you where it is. It's just northeast of the Dead Sea, above the Arnon River. You look at a map of Israel in that area there, the Holy Land, you will see the Dead Sea and northeast of the Dead Sea is an area that has the Arnon River branching off north of the On River, in that area there is where Judges tells us, sorry, 2 Kings 10 tells us that Aurora was. It is now what we know of as Jordan-Syria border in that area there. The prophecy says that not only will Damascus cease to be a city, and it'll be a heap of ruins, that area there just southeast of Syria, in Damascus, Syria, that whole area will be completely deserted. Now the scripture doesn't say how. We'll come to a little bit more of that in a sec. Look at the third thing it says. It says that uh, um, the fortress or some kind of military protection will disappear from Ephraim. Does anybody know who Ephraim is? Ephraim is the northern part of Israel. Remember when the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms—the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom? Southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah; the northern kingdom was called the kingdom of Israel. But Ephraim is the northern part of Israel. This prophecy says, at some point, something's going to happen in Damascus, Syria, that is so devastating that that whole city will be a heap of ruins, never to be a city ever again. Have there been partial fulfillments? Yes. Has it been fully fulfilled? Not yet and it will never to be inhabited again. And not only that, whatever happens there is gonna be so devastating that that area of Jordan and Syria that's combined there will become deserted and nobody will live there. And the northern part of Israel, the military protection will will vanish. Now folks, I don't know if this is a nuclear bomb. I don't know if this is a weapon of mass destruction. I don't know if it's an earthquake. I don't know if it's God just saying I'm done with you. But keep this in your mind because there's a prophecy that said this is going to happen and we don't know when. But it sure is interesting that we're living in a day in which all eyes are on Damascus right now because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And there's been the speculation as to whether or not they have and most everybody believes they have weapons of mass destruction. And they have been some people that are kind of in the know that say that Assad doesn't want to leave power and everybody as you know is saying that there will be no treaty unless Assad is gone. And Assad's crazy enough, you've already seen it, he's killing his own people to try to stay in power. And he has even been speculated to decide that if it gets to the point that they're about to remove him he'll start raining bombs into Israel to start a war with Israel because that will hopefully take some of the heat off of him. And Netanyahu, and you can Google and check anything I'm saying here, Netanyahu has said and some of the leaders have said, If they do that, we will wipe Damascus off the map. Word for word. That's what caught my attention. Because I know that the prophecy said that at some point Damascus will cease to be a city and will be a heap of ruins. What if Israel decided to do a preemptive strike to protect their people because of what may be happening to them? A lot of us don't even realize this. We think about the bombs of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. They're not even a fourth the size of the nuclear warheads that people have nowadays. And not only that, those were detonated above the ground. If one were to be detonated the size of today that we have and they were actually to be detonated on the ground, it would wipe out everything you know in that area and I can promise you the area of Jordan and Syria would become immediately deserted. And not only that, the northern part of Israel. And it wouldn't be inhabitable. And it, wouldn't, it would not be inhabitable. Yeah. Again, does that mean that's what's going to happen? Be careful. <laughs> be careful. Don't run too far, you'll end up in a ditch. Look what happened to Russia when that comet Chernobyl. You're talking about Chernobyl? Oh, yeah. No, no the, kidding. The yeah, that when that yeah. meteorite came down, and yep. Folks, I don't know. It could. It could be a meteorite. We don't know. Right after the boat hit the Vatican. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't run and say, oh, this is how it's going to be. Know what the prophecy says and put it in your heart. It's just interesting that some interesting things are happening at the same time that look very similar to this. It hasn't proved anything yet at all. Know, like I told you, if you knew Psalm 22 and you were around when Jesus was, said, my God, my God, it would make sense to you. Put it in your heart, folks. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to move to the end of chapter 17. And twelve, and it talks about a thunder of many people, and the thunder like the thundering of the sea, and the roar of the nations. They roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of mighty, many waters. But he, he, meaning God, will rebuke them, and they will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind, and whirling dust before the storm. At evening time behold terror, before morning they are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us, and the lot of those who plunder us. Now again, could this be referring to what happened when the nation of Aram came against Israel and you'll see a story in in the Bible where these things might have happened? Possibly. But I think there's also a very interesting similarity between this section of Isaiah 17 and the next passage we're going to which is Psalm 83. Go with me to Psalm 83. Psalm 83 verses 1 through 18. Now please keep a bookmark in Isaiah 17, because I'm going to be having you go back and forth and I might have told you too late, but you should have read my mind. I'm going to be sending you back and forth between Psalm 83 and Isaiah 17 because there's some similarities. Again, another prophecy that I want you to know is there and begin to just memorize, put it in your heart, know what it says. It says a song of, 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 a psalm of Asaph. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Have we heard some people say that? Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek and Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Selah. Do to them as you did to Midian as to to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. O my God, make them like whirling dust like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, as flame sets the mountains ablaze. So may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Now there's an interesting thing about this prophecy. Not only does the Psalmist say, Lord, these people are all gathered against your people and they're saying they're going to wipe them off the earth. He lists who they are. He lists what the nations are. And I'm going to give you a little tidbit here. Never in the history of the globe has these ten nations ever conspired together against Israel. Some of these a time or two individually. But never, ever, ever have all of these at one time gathered against Israel to wipe them out. And you're about to see something very interesting. We just saw in Isaiah 17 that somehow, some way, something's going to happen in Damascus that totally wipes out that area and is going to affect the northern part of Israel and is also going to affect the northeast part of the Dead Sea in that area known as the cities of Aurora or what we know as Jordan and Syria, that area. But at the same time in that prophecy was about these armies that were all coming to invade and God wipes them out. Some, I don't know if I'm even in this category yet, some think that what is said here in Psalm 83 parallels what's going to happen in Isaiah 17. There are some interesting parallels. I can't say we know, but I want you to know some things. And so here's what I want you to do. Look at what it says. These invading armies desire to loot and plunder Israel. Here in Psalm 83, look at verse 12. Look at what it says. Who said, "Let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God"? Jump back in your bookmark to um, Isaiah 17 and look at verse 14. Verse 14 it says, "At evening time, behold terror; behold morning there. Before morning there, no more." This is the portion of those who loot us and the lot of those who plunder us. So we see that the Psalm 83 group saying we want to come and take possession and take what they have and make it ours. Isaiah said the same thing. Here's what happens to those who try to come and take what's ours. On top of that the invaders are described by both prophecies as being blown away like chaff in the wind. Look at, you're in Isaiah right now, look at verse 13, 17. No, I'm right. Verse 13. Isaiah 17, verse 13 says, The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind and the whirling dust before the storm. In Psalm 83, look at verse 13. Oh, God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. Interesting. Does that prove? No. We're putting it in our heart so that if it happens while we're alive, we'll know what God is doing. The neat thing about that is to go on to um, verse 16. In which chapter are we in here? The same Psalm 83. Psalm 83, uh-huh. Verse, verse 16, I'm sorry. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. And he is pulling together the whole house of Israel for his... Purposes, purposes. And for, yeah, it, so praise God for that. Yep. I'm going to, real quickly, and some of you won't be able to write this fast enough, but there's a thing called Google, and you can find this just like yourself. It's still blowing my mind. And, and when I started preaching, I don't. you could have given me a million dollars. I would have I said there ain't no way that I'd ever say Google it in one of my sermons. <laughs> you know, it still makes me laugh every time I say it. I'm, I'll be preaching something, and they'll go, huh? I'll say Google it. And if you'd ever told me I'd ever say that, I'd think you're crazy. All right, Edom... It, the, na- the nations that are listed there in Psalm 83, Edom is in the area of Jordan and parts of the West Bank. All right. The Ishmaelites is just the Arab people as a whole. The Ishmaelites are the Arab people. And by the way, you've got to keep in mind, there's a difference between the Arab people and the Persian people. Ar- Iran is Persian, not Arab. The, the, the Ishmaelites, this is with Abraham and Hagar, remember, that's the Arab people. Moabites are Jordan and parts of the West Bank. The Hagrites, here's where some people struggle with who the Hagarites represent. Some say Jordan, some say the Arab people. Some think it refers to Egypt and a possibility it may refer to Egypt because of Hagar and where she was from. And again if you want to get into that I'm not going to take the time to dive into that deep of a study. I'm just going to tell you that that's a possibility that it may be referring to the Egyptians. The Gebelites we know is Lebanon. The Ammonites again Jordan. Amalekites is southern Israel in the area of Gaza. Philistia is Gaza, Tyre is Lebanon, Assyria, we know where Syria is, it's Syria, and uh, possibly parts of Turkey and Iraq, but we're not real sure about that. Listen, here's the interesting thing. The Psalmist here in Psalm 83 lists everybody that surrounds Israel right now on all of their borders. Isn't that interesting? That is everyone that is right now bordering with Israel. And never in the history of the world have those 10 nations ever combined to go against Israel. But there's a prophecy that says they're going to. And we know right now from what's going on that all those people who used to have peace treaties with Israel, something happened in the last year or so, hasn't it? And there's a Muslim Brotherhood that's starting to take over. And they're breaking and putting an end to all their peace treaties. Please hear, speculation, speculation, speculation. What if, what if Israel feels the need for their reasons to do something and to attack Damascus? And it affects that northern area and the nations immediately surrounding Israel say, now's our chance, we're going to attack. The Bible says, if this is the fulfillment of that, that God will wipe them all out in one night. Now this is interesting. This is interesting because we're about to go to Ezekiel 38. We've got to keep moving here for the sake of time. Go to Ezekiel 38. Yes. Ezekiel 38 lists totally different countries, but listen closely to what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel 38, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 and then verses 7 through 13. Says, so The word of the Lord came to me, the Son of Man. Set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about, and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army, horsemen, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, excuse me, of all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all his hordes, Beth-Togarmar from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your host that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war." the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled, Villages is that right now? Is Israel unwalled? No, man, not even close. They got stuff going on on all their borders right now. Everybody's trying to get at them and smuggle weapons in and shoot rockets in them. They're not unwalled right now. But at this time, whenever Gog and Magog battle happens, which by the way, if you were paying attention, the nations listed weren't even any of the ones who were the immediate enemies and borders of Israel. And they're gonna come at a time when Israel says, ah. We got peace now. We can let our walls down. We are dwelling securely because our problem with Syria is gone. Our problem with Lebanon and Jordan and Egypt and all this is over. And we're feeling pretty good. And that's when the Gog and Magog battle happens and they'll come then. That's why a lot of prophecy people, myself included, think that Isaiah 17 and Psalm 83 have to happen prior to. Isn't it interesting that when God brings those from the far north, it says the uttermost north, to come against Israel, that all of their enemies that are right now on their borders aren't helping? They might be gone. They might be gone. Listen to what it says. Let's go back to verse 10, Thus says the Lord God on that day, Thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme, and say, I'll go up against the land of unwalled villages. I'll fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having no bars or gates. Right now they're passing out gas masks to each other, practicing air raids. To seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dinan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, and to take away livestock and goods, and to seize great spoil?" We're not even going to get into the Sheba and Dinan stuff, that's for another time. But for where we're going tonight I want you to hear this. It's obvious that the Gog and Magog battle is not the same battle as Psalm 83. There's a possibility that the Psalm 83 might be tied to Isaiah 17 in that second part there. It might also be tied to the same time when Damascus ceases to be a city anymore and Aurora, areas of Aurora is deserted. In the northern part of Israel, the fortress is gone. I don't know how it's all gonna play out, but I want you to put, like we said, Psalm 22, if you will, in your heart, put Isaiah in your heart, put Psalm 83 in your heart, put Ezekiel 38 and 39 in your heart, and stop trying to figure out when it's gonna happen. You don't know. Some people think they're sure that Gog and Magog have to happen prior to the tribulation because of this, but there, there's no proof. Some people are sure that Gog and Magog happens at the end of the tribulation because it lines up with prophecies with that. They don't know either. But what does the Bible say we're to do? We're to know what it says and be watching and be ready. My purpose is to feed you the Word of God and not go beyond what's written so I'm not proven to be a liar. I don't know how this is all gonna work. But it's sure interesting that these prophecies sure line up with everything you see when you click the button on your TV every night, isn't it? Yes, sir. I've been reading a lot of different books for different authors on prophecy for for a long time, and it's interesting when you go back and reread the things that are going to happen (laughs) happen, but not in the sequence. Not in the sequence, exactly. We don't know the sequence, Jim. Uh, I'm not sure what countries were involved. It seems like this is almost just one of the, these countries that are, we're talking about here. Weren't they almost the same countries that Israel faced in the 67 war? Was it 67? Sometime? Yeah. Uh, yes, and no. Some, m- many of them were, but not all of them. Not all of them. Not all of them. Not all of them. Yes, ma'am. And, but it's uh, almost all of them. Almost all of them, yes. Again, there's been precursors all along. Yes, ma'am. I tell you what. Afterwards, I can give you everything I got. I'll give you everything I got afterwards. Yes, ma'am. This must be given to people who try, mm-hmm. yes. try to write chronologically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those people who try to write chronologically, it's going to mess them up because you can't you can't do it that way. Go ahead. Uh, I have to ask. In mm-hmm. reference to the snatching away, are you a pre-trip? Oh, big time. Oh, good. But, I, I, but, but, but honestly, I have, I have a lot of biblical reasons why I'm pre-tribulational in the church being taken in the rapture. And, and a lot of them are different from most of the prophecy people. And my biggest one is the distinction in the scripture between Israel and the church. That is the biggest thing, is the distinction between the church and Israel. There's a lot of things that people say, well, look at this. That means it's a rapture. Noah was taken out prior to the judgment. And that's possible, but you can't use that as proof of how God's going to do it the next time. But there are some very clear prophecies. And when you especially go to Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, when that prophecy of the 77s, God says, 77s are decreed for who? The nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And then 69 of them were fulfilled literally to the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And then He put them on hold. And the church age has been here. And when He's done with the church age, the Scripture says in Romans chapter 11, He'll finish that last seven year period, that last week, that's the that last one. And so there's a distinction between the church and Israel. And again, like I said, because for the longest time your teachers and your preachers tried to read the church into all the end times passages, we, we came up with the theories or preaching that said we were going to be a part of it in some way. No, the Bible's pretty clear. Well, let me, let me wrap you up with um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I think this is a great way for us to end. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. I can tell by some of your eyes that you're right about the point of saturation. I understand. Your mind can only absorb what your butt can endure. First, First Thessalonians. Yeah, pretty much the most profound I get is the word butt. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. Listen to what Paul says. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon who? Them. Them. Did you catch that? Them. He's making a distinction between the thems and the uss, if you will. And as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet and the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, which is that time period that's left, But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Why was he writing to the church and saying, guys, I don't need to get into the dates and the times with you. The dates and the times aren't for you. God hasn't appointed us to suffer wrath. That's for the them. We don't need to get caught up in all that stuff. Just stay awake. Be sober. Be watching. The church for too long has sat around trying to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be when the prophecy in Thessalonians says he won't be revealed until he who restrains is taken out of the way. Who is he who restrains? Be careful how you answer. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the church that the Holy Spirit's work through the church. Here's why. If God removes the Holy Spirit from the earth, no one can be saved. And people are saved during the tribulation period. God seals by his spirit the 144,000 witnesses at the beginning of the tribulation. God's spirit is still working in the earth, calling out to people to be saved during that time period. He's not totally removing his spirit from the earth, but he is removing his spirit's work through the church, which the Bible says is the salt and the light. The salt is the decay, the slower of decay, if you will. You know, it's the preservative. He who restrains, yes, we're losing our saltiness. But there will come a point that he will remove the salt. And the Holy Spirit's work through the church will be removed. And then the Antichrist will be revealed. I hope you never know who the Antichrist is. <laughs> exactly. But we have been over the years trying to waste our time on things that Paul said, I'm not going to waste my time writing to you about times and dates. Oh, by the way, Daniel was told about times and dates, why? Because he was to write to the nation of Israel because the times and dates are important for them. So many days from this point and from here so many days. We as the church don't need to worry about the times and the dates. We're to be watching and to be ready and to be sober and alert. But there will come a point before the final (coughs) Carl period called the Great Tribulation and the Tribulation period. And by the way, the Great Tribulation is the whole time period, all seven years. Don't let people try to talk you into it's only the second half of it. It's all great. We're going to be taken away before then. Now, if I had to vote, that's what I'd go for. But that's not why I believe it. Because of so many scriptures that point in that direction. Yes, ma'am. Those are the people that are born during the millennial kingdom or lived, through, lived into the millennial kingdom who hadn't been saved or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Because most likely everybody that comes to faith during the tribulation period will be killed. There might be some, but most likely they'll almost all be killed according to the Scriptures, you know, and that kind of a thing. But there will be a lot of people born during the millennial kingdom. And we're going to rule and reign, but we're not going to be making babies. We're going to have our resurrected bodies and we're going to be ruling with Jesus in different parts of the world that He gives us responsibilities according to how faithful we've been. But there'll be a lot of people born during that time because there's not much sickness. Satan's bound. If someone dies at 100, they're considered like a baby dying. So, yes. You,
1: you just yes. said the
0: whole thing's great tribulation. But I thought before the desolation, the first three and a half years was a peace. Well, yeah. But you look, you read, read Revelation and tell me what's going on during the first half during with the uh, stuff that's happening on the earth and a third of the people being killed because of this and judgment I mean, and that. i I guess, or more, I, no one's. If you We're look all at th- dividing it in great and no great, yeah, no, if you look at it, it's the all. Difference, but the difference is uh, uh, what I heard was, mm-hmm. was pretty good is after the rapture, <clears throat> we've got the seat judgment, mm-hmm. and Satan is there condemning or trying to condemn each person, and finally, God says, halfway through. Satan, I've had enough of you. You're right. Throw him out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he gets thrown out. He comes back to earth, and that's when they. But at the same time, the first half of the tribulation period is judgment and wrath, and it's yep. great. It's great tribulation. Go, like I said, read the first seals that are open and how a third of the rivers turn to blood, and so many a third of the population is killed. You can't say, "Well, that's <laughs> that's a time of peace." No, Israel's living in peace at that time. But a lot of stuff's happening all over the world, and, buddy, you wouldn't want to be alive during that time. It, yes, is Isn't ma- that the only time, you know, post them becoming a state again that they are about to have peace? What? The real peace won't come until Jesus
1: comes. No, no, but they're, right. They're,
0: Right. And that's what makes some people think that God. the Gog and Magog doesn't happen until the end because they're living in peace because of the Antichrist. I don't know. Some think that there's going to be some kind of a battle prior to that, that Israel is allowed to enlarge their borders and it's not due, due to the Antichrist. We don't know how. That's a possibility. When well, they also have the sheep and the gold and the things to plunder, which the beginning part of the tribulation, they are gathering all of that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They got a temple to build. Who knows? Maybe this Psalm 83 battle that God wipes out all their immediate enemies might open the door for the temple to be rebuilt. We don't know. Boy, it's tempting, though, to go on and figure it all out, don't it? Yes. Stay out of ditches. Yes, ma'am. Some people think that the people that reject Christ before the rapture, that they won't have an opportunity to be saved after. I'm not one. They take a passage in Thessalonians that talks about them giving a great delusion so they can't be saved or won't be saved. I have a hard time reading that that says that if you hear about Christ before, before the Rapture, that after the Rapture you can't be saved, I'm not one in those camps. There are some men that I really respect who fall into that category, I'm not one. I think that God offers, offers opportunity. Now it doesn't mean that if you're still alive you always have an opportunity, the Bible says there comes a point where God stops knocking. But I can't be in the camp of those who say, "If you heard of Christ and had an opportunity for salvation prior to the rapture, and then the rapture happens, and now you're under the tribulation, that you can't be saved." I can't go there. Well, up to the time yeah, of the thief on the cross, you know, said, "Okay, I believe he was with Christ in heaven, so I, I think it's if you're alive until you die." Exactly. You well, a, a agreed. That at the same time, there is an element of some scriptures that say there comes a point where God's spirit stops drawing. But we don't know what that is. We, we don't know what that is. And so I, I, I preach to you like you, you still got a chance. Everybody. Exactly. And I tell you what. Let me pray for us. If you have more questions, I'll be here. Let's wrap it up because those of the people who are listening online are saying, are they done? Are they done? <laughs> Let let me pray for us. Father thank You again for the fact that Your Word is alive. And we have the benefit of being this side of the cross and many prophecies being fulfilled. Lord we even have the benefit of being this side in 1948. And the fact that we all of a sudden realize, oh hey, maybe all those prophecies that talked about Israel in the last days actually meant Israel and not the Church. And so Lord we thank You for the benefit that we've been given. Lord keep us from the error of people prior to us who thought they understood the prophecies before they were fulfilled. Lord, you you say to just know what it says and take it to heart. Lord, may that be what we do. May it make us watch and listen. And Lord, keep us from going into the ditch of saying we got you figured out. Keep us from going beyond what is written so that you won't prove us to be a liar. We pray this in your name. Amen.